Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vish Want and Partha. And we're back with our college football sprint. A lot to talk about this week. Probably the most exciting week of college football actual game matchups. We're not not just the COVID news and all everything related to that, but actually really good games and more than just one good game this weekend. Um, Zach, let's 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 start though by talking about um, the game that did not happen this past weekend um, and the information that came out throughout the week. One, that they were negotiating a new contract with Harbaugh, and then the news that came out that they had about nine positive cases well under the threshold, and that they actually conducted a practice on Sunday that Harbaugh talked about uh, in an interview. I mean, nobody wants to say somebody ducked and ran, but it's fairly clear that Michigan ducked and ran from Ohio State with everything that's coming out. Yeah, I mean, well, is that that's not true. I want to say it. They ducked and ran. <laughs> I want to say yeah. it loud and clear. I mean, yeah. they had nine positive cases in the entire athletic department. That's all sports, all coaches, not just football. So we wow. don't even know how many football players tested positive, but I know this. Ohio State had like 15 out two weeks ago and played a game. Minnesota had 20 out and played a game. I mean, it's just complete surrender, white flag, absolute no other way to look at it. It was a forfeiture, and we we called it three weeks ago. I've been talking yeah. about it that that they would probably do this, and yeah. there's no other way to look at it. They com- flat out did not want the smoke, and so they bailed. Yep, yep, and I think that's also like when Herb Street when when Kirk said it, he definitely knew it too, and he had heard it from from real sources. He's not a guy that just comes out and makes makes random statements like that. Probably regretted that he said it on air. But I think this 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 was knowledge that was kind of going through behind the scenes in the in the circles for a while, wasn't it? Absolutely. And I like I go on a radio show every week up in East Lansing, Michigan, randomly, believe it or not, Mad Dogs radio show. And <laughs> when when Herb Street apologized, I was on his show that next Monday and he was like, I don't know he even said, I don't know why he apologized. Everybody in this whole state is talking about it and knows that's what's going on. Like every it's common knowledge up in the state of Michigan that they weren't going to play the game because they didn't want to catch those hands. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. And it goes to your point V you were saying you had seen on, on the blogs or on, on the Twitterverse that uh, a lot of the fans were saying that would be a good thing for the program. It seems that the fan base definitely feels that way from the, the few that I know that I've spoken to. I mean, they were just grateful not to get beat by us this year, but Man, what does that say about the culture of your program when your own fan base doesn't want to play their rival? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <At> your school. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll give Michigan fans credit. They're unlike most fan bases. They're realistic. You know, most most fan bases are, are unrealistic and, and want to play everyone because they're the best team ever. Michigan knew what was up, and they're like, you know what? We don't really want to play them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think regardless of, of, I mean, in recent years, we've blown them out a few times, but usually they give us a somewhat competitive game, even if it's not if it's not a blowout. And sometimes the game comes down to the wire. But I think, you know, what does this signal, though, to a program that wants to be great? If I'm a player and I'm a great player, am I going to want to go to a school that the ducks and dodges real competition? Absolutely not. And I mean, it's it's like, 
it just it's a slippery slope right now. It's exponentially getting worse and worse with every decision that Harbaugh makes and every decision the athletic department makes. It's like they can't they can't help but be, but make the situation worse than it is. I mean, going all the way back to him having sleepovers at the kicker recruits house and traveling to South Africa and Italy and all these places. It's like, bro, make, make your team good. How about that? Yeah. And it's like they they can't get out of their own way. It's 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 astonishing, honestly. It really is. So what what is your take, Zach? I mean, I I don't understand the politics sometimes behind the coaching decisions, but we saw the report last week that they were possibly thinking about doing an extension for Harbaugh, yeah. which you know was at a lower salary amount than than he's currently being paid. But I mean. That sounds ludicrous to me, given the slide of the program. Like, what kind of factors play into a decision like that 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 you know most people wouldn't be aware of? Well, I think I think it's a couple things. One is, I mean, he's he's the the chosen one, right? And and Michigan boosters and money people. I mean, as as bad as it is, I mean, they love Jim Harbaugh. He was a great quarterback there. He was kind of he was a Michigan man, and so I think mm-hmm. part of it part of it is they're having a hard time realizing that he was not what they thought he was. And the other part is they have to pony up some money to get rid of them. And then and then who are they going to bring in that's better than Harbaugh? That's the real question, right? It's a lot like, why is Tom Herman not going to get fired? Because yeah. realistically, they probably aren't going to get a better coach right now. So why fire him? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's challenging. And then I think it's also, like you said, maybe they are accepting reality. I think you brought this up last week when you look at Michigan and who they are. You talked about Colin Coward on his show. Yeah. Said, look, Michigan has never really been a national champ. They've been a good team, but they've never really been a national championship contender. You know, outside of this year, I mean, Harbaugh hasn't been like terribly bad. Um, and, and maybe that's the way they're looking at and saying, look, maybe they are understanding that they're not really that good. And it's sad to see, but maybe that is what's happening. You know what? I mean, you just look at their, you know, their poster child, Bo Schembechler, and and I don't have it in front of me, so I could be wrong on this, but I'm almost positive he won zero national championships. No, he didn't. He won one at Ohio State when he was an assistant. Right. So the, rea- <laughs> the reality is, like, you're po- the man that has a statue outside of your building won zero national championships. So where's your bar? It's unrealistic yeah. to set your bar as a national contender when you've never been one. They won yeah. one co-national championship. That's it ever in in their history. So it's like, I, I think there's a little bit of unrealistic expectations. And then there's also, you know, somewhere in between lies reality, right? I mean, yeah. Harbaugh, Harbaugh's underachieving. I think it's time for him to go, but they need to be realistic and build to a national presence, not expect a national presence. Yeah. I mean, it goes to the point of what you were saying last week, Zach, which is, you know, how good of a team were they and are, are our expectations of them too high as Ohio State fan, given where our program has has gotten to in the last 20 years? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's just the reality of, of, of success, right? Ohio State wins a couple national championships in the 2000s, and now everyone expects it every year. And, and obviously, Urban had, had us in the playoffs twice. And then Ryan took them back to the playoffs last year, probably going to make it again this year. So now the standard has been reset at Ohio State. It is college football playoffs or it's a failure. And then at, now that we've been there, what, four times in the last, whatever it is, six or seven years, it's like, all right, now the expectation is to win it. We've been going. That's old yeah. news. Now, now we have to win it or else it's a failure. It's, it's just yeah. constantly moving the, the goalposts, right? And, and we experienced it at Florida. Florida had never really been a national contender before Urban Meyer. They 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 were really good. 
under Spurrier. They won one national championship, and then Urban came, won a national championship, brought back a great team, won another one, and it was like, then all of a sudden, a national championship was the expectation. And the, yeah. the year after we won it in 08 and 2009, we were like 12-0, and 0, lost to Bama, destroyed our bowl opponent, and people were livid. It's like, wait a minute now, we lost one game to, to the team that won the national championship. Why are people mad? Yeah. I mean, expectations of fans are, are typically unreasonable, but it is also sad when you see the other side of it. You know, I want to move on from this sour subject. When you see the other side of it, like Partha said at the top of the show, fan base is accepting mediocrity. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I, I, one thing I'm happy and I think most, even when you were as a coach, as a coach, it probably annoyed you at times, but you were also grateful that you had a fan base that actually expected the best out of you. So it's like, which one would you rather have, you know? And, and the truth is I would deal with our fans every day than deal with these Michigan fans who are like, let's dodge Ohio state. It's, it's good for us. If we, if we don't play somebody like that's, that's a sad mentality to have quite frankly. Yeah. It's a lack of competitive spirit, right? I mean, it's, it's one thing to be Northwestern where you're just like shot in the ass. If you go nine and three, like great year, fired up for your team and you understand you probably might not be very good next year that's one thing but you, you still want to play everyone you might get beat but you want to yeah. play and then there's michigan where you're like pleased with ducking a, a good opponent it's like <laughs> why are you even playing or why are you cheering for this team then like yeah. you don't want them to play what play kind of intramural. Fan is that? go to intramural why doesn't michigan football just become an intramural football program right yeah. or like I mean, watch the Canadian League or or cheer for a flag football team. Like, why why is that your college football team? That you need to you need to pick a different team. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, I think I think we we can leave this one alone because my blood pressure I feel it starting go up. Because if if we don't get into the CFP as a result of this, which some of these coaches, which is our next next subject, are kind of campaigning for, um, I'm going to be really upset, and it's going to be Michigan's fault. You know. Um, and that's, uh, I'll say this though, V, I mean, there's a pretty big dollar incentive to get Ohio state in that game, especially with Justin Fields playing the way he's playing this year, oh, he's, offense, how it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was just trying to build up, build up the, the hype to transition to my two favorite guys. You know? My bad. My bad. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you know, I, I feel pretty confident of our five and O team soon to be six and O. Yeah. Yeah. I'm confident. I'm confident as well, but you know, I did, you know, it it bothered me. It bothers me because I think what we saw this past week from Dabo and and Dan Mellon is kind of in a way similar to what Michigan fans are doing. It's like your standard is whatever we have to do to get in. It's not, Oh, we, we lost two games. We don't deserve to get in. You know, urban Meyer has campaigned for us to get in before, but it's when we had a, a a real case, you can't just say, Oh, because we played 10 games. Who did you play these 10 games against? You know? Yeah. And, And then also with, with, with dabble kind of positioning himself saying, even if we lose to Notre Dame, it's like, I just don't vibe with being the leader of a competitive program, kind of setting that standard and, and like that versus telling your players, we better win all of our, our, our freaking games and get in. It's like, it's one thing if you build up a case and you're left out and you have a strong argument, but if Clemson loses two games and Florida loses two games, they have no case unless they beat Alabama. Maybe then they might have a case. Yeah, I mean, it, Dabo's on brand, right? He came out, yeah. he stayed on brand, being a little wine, a little whiner. 
And then Dan Mullen just showed him showed himself as the Karen of college football, right? He called he basically called the NCAA and asked to speak to a manager because he just <laughs> like he's whining and he did it twice this year. Two losses, both post-game press conferences, whined like a Karen. I mean, he's complaining about Ohio State not playing enough games when instead of addressing the fact he just lost to a five-loss LSU team, yeah. didn't, didn't even have a winning record. Yeah. And let's let's not forget the lineage of how this happened, right? They lost to Texas A&M. He immediately in the postgame press conference started complaining about how many fans they had, demanded that the swamp be packed. Then Florida caught a bunch of COVID cases, and they had to postpone the LSU game. Conveniently, they get their ass beat by LSU just this last mm-hmm. Saturday, the postponed game. And then he comes out crying about Ohio State. Such a whiny little bitch, honest to God. <laughs> yeah. By the way, that was very Gen Z of you to, to use Karen there so effortlessly. I appreciated that. <laughs> yeah, Partha. I mean, you know, you're you're you tend to be neutral on these issues, but what do you think about you know these guys? Like, I don't know. I I don't know how these guys are football coaches who kind of speaking to the media the way that they're they're speaking. It's like, uh, you know, people got to talk. I mean, that's the game, right? You got to get your fan base fired up. You got to rally them behind you. It's part of the game, but. You know, I mean, I think part of it as, as well is for us to dislike them, right? Like, I think that's that's what the media is looking for. They're trying to play up a little bit of that. And so, you know, it is it is what it is. I mean, I don't think Florida has any business even saying they should be in there. Oh, we've lost Zach. Uh-oh. We'll get him back. But uh going back. Keep keep talking. Keep talking. Yeah, I don't I like to be honest, I don't know if Florida has any business after losing to LSU saying they should be in there. Uh, there's no complaining when you lose to somebody that's worse than you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean that's that's how I feel about it at the end of the day. Um Zach, you know, I was just saying that I just don't feel Florida has any business complaining. Clemson maybe would have had a, like a good reason to complain had they not lost, you know? And Correct me if I'm wrong here. The game that they lost, was that the one Trevor Lawrence was on the bench or was that the one uh, after he came back? I'm kind of losing you guys. I don't know what's going on with this feed. Okay. Oh, no, I got you now. That was really okay. weird. I'm sorry. What did we you want? <laughs> I was just saying, Zach, with uh, Clemson, their loss this year, was that the one Trevor Lawrence was out because of COVID? Yeah, he was out. But and people point to that as the reason for why they lost. And in reality, the kid DJ uh, Uyunglele, if I got that right, um, he played he played really well. I think the the only thing that you could make an excuse for is they were without a number of defensive players. So I mean, they have a case for why they lost. I mean, Notre Dame pretty much handled them on both sides of the ball. So it'd be cool to watch the rematch. But uh, Trevor being out, I, I mean, I saw maybe two throws the entire game where I said, you know what, Trevor probably would have made that throw. But you yeah. know, he might have missed the throw that DJ made. So. Um, it's, I think that was negligible. Uh, the defensive uh, players that were out were definitely more impactful and in the result of the game. But the good thing is they get to avenge their loss. And if they lose again with Trevor and those defensive players, then it's over. Like like V said earlier, you lose two games, you're out. You can only blame yourself. Right. As much as you want to blame the media and blame Ohio State for only playing six games, you lose two games, you screwed up. No one else did. You did. Right. Yep. And, and, you know, it explains why, you know, to me, it's, it explains why one of Florida's players would, would take, take one of LSU players shoes off and throw it. It's a reflection of their head coach and the attitude their head coach has. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was crazy to watch. I mean, just wild wild way to lose a game. That's the dumbest thing you could possibly, of course it's going to be called. 
It's you're on yeah. national TV. <laughs> my favorite, the uh, side note, my favorite part of the whole thing was the ref explaining it. Like he threw the, he took off his shoe and threw it 30 yards. Like he insinuated, like if he only threw it 15 yards, this would not have been a penalty. But because it was 30 yards, it is a penalty. <laughs> that, is, that is hilarious. I mean, it's just a, you just feels like a very unique time in, in coaching in college football right now. And yeah. another thing that's, that's happening is, it's it's that season, right, where programs, whether realistic realistically or not, or are are starting to fire coaches. And one of the, the things that I always look at when these coaches get fired is the buyouts. You know, it's like you do a bad job and <laughs> you get like more money than ninety-nine point nine percent of America makes in their lifetime for sucking. You know, right. Right. <laughs> you know, Gus Malzahn got like, oh, mind you, he did win national championship at Auburn and they've been pretty good over the years, but recently they haven't. He got $22 million out the door. Kevin Sumlin, who's won, I don't even know, maybe three games in the last two years at Arizona, got a seven and a half million dollar buyout. What yep. do you guys think about this? And does there need to be change in kind of how these college coaches contracts are structured if, if they are fired for sucking? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it is what it is they, they, they could fit, it, it, you know how to, well, first of all, they could definitely put in provisions like for performance and things like that, like to make it a fireable offense to lose games. But the reality is when they hire these coaches, they're, they're in a competitive market where they have to yeah. offer that kind of money and that kind of contract or else they're not going to get them. So it yeah. comes down to like, do you, it's really like a, it's a gamble, right? You yeah. say, all right, we'll give you $40 million because we think you're going to be really good. And if you're not, we're out, we lost. We put our money on red and it hit black. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but the, the, the Gus Malzahn thing's crazy. And, and, and I did just put out a YouTube video about it all because that Auburn the program is a lot like the, the series House of Cards. Like yeah. how everything went down from Tommy Tuberville until now, Gus Malzahn getting fired. It was political back channeling. I mean, Tommy Tuberville got fired and they hired Gene Chizik, who just went two and 10 at Iowa State. I mean, it was unbelievable. Then Gene Chizik hires Malzahn. They get Cam Newton, win a national championship. Then Malzahn works the back channels, gets Chizik fired. It was just unbelievable how it all worked. Really, when they, you know, Tommy Tuberville had one bad year. And then Gene Chizik won a national championship, two years later got fired. It was just, it's unbelievable how it all went down. And now Gus Malzahn was, and we've talked about it on your show, he was an offensive guru that lost mm -hmm. his his guru status, right? The game yeah. passed him by and he, he was always a, a no, he was actually, he was a no huddle guy that sold his system to high school coaches, made hundreds of thousands of dollars as a no huddle, go as fast as you can, run a bunch of plays. And they were ninth in the SEC this year on number of plays ran. So he completely abandoned his philosophy. And it's just, it's just crazy how that went down. But yeah, contracts, I don't think it's going away just because of how competitive it is. Yeah. Yeah. But you see these numbers and it's like, let, let's, let's just let this farce go. The thing is amateur, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Like, what are we, this is I mean, certainly this is, a big, this is big business, right? Yeah. It's the same way I felt when Melissa Mayer left, uh, was it Yahoo? She got fired from where she was CEO and she got paid $30 million to leave. And I right. was just like, great. She never has to work again. And that was for being bad at her job, not yeah. for being good at it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it makes any sense. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, they're already getting compensated so much. I mean, making five, six, seven million dollars a year. You think if you do that for four years and get fired without a severance, you'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing, you know, and, and that does mean that a, there's doesn't seem to be a lot of talent out here in terms of 
pedigreed head coaching um, candidates, but it seems like there are going to be a lot of high-profile jobs available. An interesting side note, I saw that um, Art Bryles resigned his job as a, as a high school football coach, I'm assuming, to put himself in position to get one of these jobs. I, I always felt like, you know, the penalties that, that he faced compared to some other guys were kind of extreme because it didn't show a lot of connectivity to him right. specifically. Um, and, and he is a, a very, very well-regarded coach. Do you think he's going to get a high-profile job? And then also other guys that you think, um, you know, as, as you've sorted through this, other guys you think uh, colleges should be looking at because there's a lot of big programs. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of big programs that, that are going to – that if they're not open now, they're going to be open, right? Yeah. Um, I think – I think the biggest off-season move so far that is relevant today is that Vanderbilt, uh, I don't know if they announced it officially or not, but it's happening, is uh, Notre Dame's defensive coordinator, Clark Lee, is going to be the next head coach at Vanderbilt. And it presents quite a hmm. quite a conundrum, right? And I've been a part yeah. of it twice in 2008 and 2014 where a coordinator that we had got a head coaching job and we were still in the midst of a championship run. And it presents a lot of problems for Notre Dame. I mean, they're going to have to have some defensive coaches really step up because as much as that guy wants to say, I'm going to focus on Notre Dame for the next three weeks, he can't. Signing day's, what, tomorrow? And, I mean, he's got to put together a staff. Like, he's got a lot to do. So that's one one chip that has already fallen. And then I think, uh, you know, Art Bryles is, will certainly be in some conversations. And then uh, Hugh Freeze, what he's done at Liberty, put himself back in the mix for a top head coaching job. And then outside of that, you're going to have the two typicals, which is Luke Fickle uh, from Cincinnati and then Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Those are the two that are going to be talked about for every single job that comes open. Um, other than that, it's going to be some coordinators. You know, Wisconsin's defensive coordinator is a, is a really good candidate that will be a hot name. And then you have guys like Joe Brady, who is LSU's O coordinator, Coach Joe Burrow, now at the Panthers. And uh, Steve Sarkeesian is the other one who's kind of revamped his career in the school of head coaches by Nick Saban. Um so, you know, there's there's a bunch of candidates out there. It's just there, there's a lot of candidates with baggage. Art Bryles, baggage. Hugh Free, yeah. baggage. Steve Sarkeesian, baggage. Like, you have to make a decision. Like, do I want to hire that guy? He's kind of got a bad track record off the field. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How much do you think that that weighs on these programs when they're bringing people in, Zach? Is that a, a major deterrent, especially in a year like this with so many openings and seemingly a small pool of talent? Uh, you know what? I I think it weighs. It, it's definitely a factor, but the reality is, it's like we talked about earlier, it's big business. If they think Hugh Freeze is going to take their program to a national prominence, they don't care. They'll get over it really fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and that's just the reality of it. I think if if they think that it's it's fifty fifty on how how beneficial their that guy will be to their program, then it comes into play, right? But if they think it's a home run hire, I don't care what the guy did. He could have committed murder. They're still hiring him. <laughs> That one might be a little extreme, but yeah. Well, he got be, off, you know. Ray Lewis, yeah. Ray Lewis gets jobs. He's on TV. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. That's true. You you are right. You are right. No comment. <laughs> no, yeah, no comment. No, no comment. Too close to some of those, some of those Ravens. So no comment. <laughs> um, move, move, moving off from this this topic that kind of made us put our say some things we might not want to say in, in a politically <laughs> correct world um is that we actually have some really good football coming up like oh yeah beyond all these off the field stories there's some really good games and a lot on the line this weekend let's start with the conference championship games right notre dame clemson 
Florida, Alabama, Iowa, Oklahoma, Iowa State, Oklahoma, and then of course Ohio State, Northwestern. Let's, All let's, great games. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. be awesome. Let's 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 talk about them. Which which because they all have Iowa State, Oklahoma, because I have so many questions about this one for Zach. Dude, first of all, I've been following Spencer Rattler since he was in high school. Yeah, I think, you know, I I really like the attitude on that kid. A lot of people are like, he's got a lot of ego. I really kind of like players with ego when they can back it up with their skills. What do you think about Oklahoma this year and specifically how how have you seen him play? And then my other questions around Iowa State program on the rise, great coach and great, great kind of setup. Where the heck did they come from as a football school in the last, you know, decade? Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, Spencer Rattler, uh, I, I like him as a quarterback. He's like, he's the perfect quarterback to be on your rival, right? He's so easy to hate if you want to hate him, (laughs) (laughs) but he's so easy to like if you don't, if you don't have a horse in the race. Um, but, but I think what you look at Oklahoma and what they've done, they, they obviously came out the gates and struggled major in a major way. Mm-hmm. And really about, about mid-season, they kind of started clicking. They started getting better. And, and it was, a, I think, a classic example of what COVID did to college football. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't have that spring to go through those struggles. They didn't have those preseason games, quote-unquote, to go through those struggles. They had it played out you know, in big games. And Spencer Rattler got, was much better the second half of the year than he was the first half. And that defense, what Alex Grinch has done to that defense, they're playing much better now than they started the year. And so it's interesting to look at that game because oh, if you just don't pay attention, don't watch the film, you say, oh, Iowa State should win that game, right? Oklahoma has lost to X, Y, and Z. But it's not the same Oklahoma team that's going to play on Saturday that lost those games. They've gotten a ton better. Yeah, and then speaking to Iowa State, I mean that's Matt Campbell's just done an outstanding job, and uh, he, he's it, his running back said it best when they beat Texas: "It's five star culture versus five star players." I mean they just have a great culture. They play hard. They they're fundamentally sound. They do their scheme is great, and they just they just play really hard. And and, and if you don't make a lot of mistakes and you tackle well, it, you're going to win a lot of games. Simple as that. Wherever you are, and so what he's done there has been exceptional. And and it's a you know my grandfather was the head coach of Iowa State back in the seventies. And just to watch where that program was back when he took the job all the way to now, it's, it's night and day. I mean, they, they were irrelevant in college football back in the early 70s. Uh, and, and they've really, you know, been a, it's been a bumpy road. But shoot, they're playing for a Big 12 title now. Back in 1970, people would have laughed at you if you thought that was possible. Yeah. And, and, and I do want to dig, dig deeper. You mentioned in our earlier part that Matt Campbell, obviously, I think is at the, is at the top of every major program's wish list in terms of coaches. But you're looking at an Iowa Iowa State team that's number seven in the country. Right. How how difficult is it going to be for him? One, you know, to 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 take another job when your program is on the rise, and not only on the rise, is one of the top ten programs in the country right now. Yeah. How difficult is it going to be to to hire him away from Iowa State? I don't. I mean, if it's a, if it's the right level of job, I don't think it would be that difficult. I mean, as good of a job as he's done, that that's certainly not the the seventh best you know, school in the country to be the head coach. <laughs> he just yeah. has them playing really well. And 2020 is a, a screwed up year, um, but they've taken advantage of it. So I, I don't think, I mean, if the money's right, the situation's right. Iowa, you got to think about Ames, Iowa. That's not an easy place to recruit tr- to. Yeah. And if, if you're talking about competing for a big 12 championship, that's going to be tough to sustain. So yeah, any got, job where you can get $22 million for being bad at it, I think yeah. would get him out of that V. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. He will take that $22 million severance right now. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I, I, I'm a big Matt Campbell fan. Is is also his roots are here in Ohio. Toledo is where he built his reputation and name, and 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 stayed there for a number of years. So he he did he did stay stay loyal to that program. Took the opportunity at Iowa State when it came, and is is one there. It's only natural for him to get that next level job, and and I don't think anyone at at Iowa State should begrudge him if he does take say an Auburn job or a USC job if it comes available um for that. But then also is there is there if Iowa State wins this game at Oklahoma, Notre Dame beats Clemson, right? Mm-hmm. Is are they gonna leapfrog Texas AM if Texas AM just beats a Tennessee team? Um or do you think they're gonna put the second SEC team in? I think they put the second SEC team in. I mean, it just the, the reality is that you, you watch the teams. Texas A&M's a better team. Um, they're, they're just have better players, and they're playing really well. And, I mean, they lost a close game to Alabama, and that's their only loss. And Alabama's – especially if Alabama handles Florida like I think they will. I mean, that Texas and A&M team looks like the fourth-best team in the country. They have one loss. I think it was three points to Alabama. That's their only loss. They beat yeah. Florida. They beat everyone else. I mean, they, they have a solid resume. And I really like have, that team, too. Yeah, they have they have a case to be in it. You know what I mean? Even if even if none of those, you know, let's say Clemson loses, even if they're the fifth team, they still have a case that they should be in. I mean, they lost to the best team in the country by three. Like yeah. that's 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 not a bad loss. <laughs> yeah. yeah. By the I way, think- I just I want to make make a quick comment while we're you know in the midst of this. There's a show on Netflix called QB One, and I yeah. highly highly recommend that show. It's yes. documentary style of a bunch of these quarterbacks in their senior years. And now is the year when a lot of these quarterbacks are actually playing their first year after their red shirts. So um, I don't know if Rattler was on it. He might've been the elite 11, but Justin Fields was in it. And you see his whole senior season. Um, one guy who had committed to Iowa state, which put them on my radar. Real Mitchell was on it. And uh, Tate Martell, who was oh, at yeah. State briefly, was Ohio on State's there. favorite favorite QB. <laughs> it was, it, you, you want to talk about wild? I, so I recruited Tate Martell, and Tim Beck and I went out to, and we didn't know. You know, I never even heard of this show back then. And uh, we go out there, and there's film crews everywhere. I'm like, what <laughs> in the hell is going on right now? I was like, I thought it was a documentary for HBO or something. That's crazy! Fantastic show. Have you seen it, Zach? I, I I saw like one episode when Tate was on it just because I was like, what the hell is this show? Like yeah. I needed to, I needed to see it, but I haven't watched it. I, I want to watch it though. Well, if you guys want to understand why Justin Fields is playing the way he's playing, his mentality <laughs> since high school has been where it needed to be. It's oh, it's yeah. a pretty fantastic show because you get to see these, you know, 17, 18 year old kids treating their lives like <laughs> professional athletes. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll definitely I'm definitely gonna have to have to tune in next time I uh, turn on my Netflix. It's been a while, actually. So, um, <laughs> I was v, about the- in that cheap demo, by the way, who turns on and off his Netflix. <laughs> right. Oh. Get a new, get a new email, get a new trial started. <laughs> hey, 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 I, I, hey, I, dude, I'm I'll Venmo go. you fifteen dollars. Hey, when I say tune in, tune out, I, I, I keep, I'm too lazy to turn off my subscriptions, so they keep going. They keep getting my money for free. <laughs> but, um. In terms of the the Florida Alabama game, that's also very interesting. If Florida beats Alabama, um, do you think Alabama still gets in regardless? Yeah, um, and, I think then, they- and then does Florida leapfrog a one loss A and M team as the other team? 
Uh, I don't think they can. I mean, they're, they're two losses. First of all, head-to-head, Florida lost to A&M. So I don't know how they could leapfrog them. And they're a two-loss team. They lost to a bad LSU team. If they found a way to beat Alabama, one, I would be absolutely floored. Yeah, um, that'd be terrible, but, you know, uh, but, yeah. but if they did, it would definitely throw a wrench in it. I think Alabama still gets in, I guess, depending on how it looks. Like, if they blow out Alabama, which certainly won't happen, right? I, I wouldn't think, but if they did, then, then then you're having a conversation. But if they lose a close game, I think Alabama still gets in. Their body of work, I mean, they've blown everyone out outside of A&M. I mean, you're talking 20, 30-point wins against SEC teams every week. Yeah. And by the way, last week, um, after we talked about it, I feel like these analysts are always listening to our podcasts and stealing our stealing our topics, man. Like right. the 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 argue, the the noise for Devonta Smith as a as a Heisman candidate got got really loud this past week. We're like, wait, we were talking about that a week ago. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, it's, I felt that way for like two years now. They just troll. They just troll these the these podcasts and just oh, that's a good take. Let's put it on. <laughs> Shout out to our listeners for helping facilitate that. Right. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And then, of course, um, I don't think there's much of a much going on here with this Ohio State Northwestern game. Um, but Ohio State does need to seem to win with one of those statement 21 point or more wins. If it's a close game, do you think the committee will will? potentially leave us out or do you think money talks bullshit walks here yeah i mean i think it's impossible to leave an undefeated ohio state team out at this point i mean the way they've played you know being the revenge tour kind of from last year i think the the storylines especially if notre dame's in clemson there's so many storylines and so much money to be made there i don't know how they leave them out but this this honestly has a a 2014 vibe to me where there there needs to be a statement made ohio state's a much better team and they're going to be locked loaded focused and I, i it just it feels like a blowout is is you know coming. It just feels like that's where it's headed. It feels like Ohio State has the ability this year to actually win the whole thing and I wouldn't have said that in you know other years where we've made the playoffs, but the way that when they click, right? This has always been what I say with Ohio State. When they click, we're the best team in the country. But the question is can it all come together, you know, during the important games? And we did that in that 2014 run run you're talking about Zach and man, I would love to see that start again right here with this Northwestern game. Yeah, there, there's no doubt. I mean, they need, they need to, they need to get hot. Some players need to play better. I mean, the, the, there's a, I have a lot of concerns for Ohio state when you're talking about the, the national championship. I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah. that's a big accomplishment. You're going to, they, they haven't played a team even close to the caliber of the teams they're going to play in the playoffs. And they, to be honest, they haven't looked great. I mean, the run games looked pathetic. Uh, and if that's being too harsh, it's looked average, which is not good for a national yeah. contender. And and the pass coverage has been below average. So there's two major concerns that that I'm kind of nervous about when they go play Alabama or Notre Dame or Clemson. It's just um, what, what the good thing is. That's why they play the game, right? We'll see how they look against Northwestern, see if they've improved, and then see what kind of work they can put in. You know, in the in the two week period before they have to go play one of those teams. Yeah, that's huge. I mean that that is really what this is going to come down to is those the two week the two week layoff between games for Ohio State because, like you said, there are a lot of issues that need to be fixed and addressed, right. um, and it's going to say a lot about Ryan Day and the program um, in what they do in those two weeks. Um, you know, we could we could talk keep talking about this game, but I personally think Ohio State's going to blow blow them out, and this is much ado about nothing. Um, the game is just another game. Um, 
but the game that I think has potential most to impact is the Notre Dame Clemson game in terms of yeah. what it, what what happens if what happens if Clemson beats Notre Dame do they both get in and what happens if Notre Dame beats Clemson is Clemson you know is 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 Dabo still going to get get his wish if it's a close game uh, again and they they barely beat and Notre just Dame outline the context here right the other games going on if they all hold you've got ohio state staying undefeated at six and oh you've got alabama staying undefeated at 11 and oh you've got uh iowa state oklahoma really not not creating much impact in this scenario so this is the two and three team notre dame is number two clemson is number three with one loss notre dame's undefeated having beat clemson earlier so just to put the context there yeah Clemson wins, they have the same record, and Clemson has avenged their loss from earlier in the season. What does that do to our our picture, Zach? Um, I mean, I think uh, if Clemson beats Notre Dame, then you have to look at it. All right, they they got they lost early in the year to a playoff team without their you know franchise quarterback. The whole narrative's there. They're in. I mean, they they they. Win yeah. the battle between Texas A and M and Clemson, the two one-loss yeah. teams, right? And I think uh, Notre Dame it probably still gets in, but that recency bias is real. I mean, if they if they lose to Clemson and they lose by fourteen points or, or twenty points, or you know, if it's not a close loss, then you're going to be making an argument like, all right, they just lost by you know double digits, and Texas A and M lost early to the number one team in the country that is undefeated. Now who's in, right? Notre Dame or A and M? I think that's the the conversation that starts with a Clemson win. Now, if Notre Dame wins, Clemson's out, Dabo can go cry a river to all his little rednecks in South Carolina and, and nobody cares. Like they, They're out. Yeah. You lose two games, you can't get in the playoffs. It's just the rules. So let's yeah. let's just kind of mock up something and you know, this, is, this is where I get curious with Ohio State's schedule. So let's say Notre Dame wins, Clemson's out, and A&M is now in it. Currently, they're ranked five below Ohio State. Would they do the thing that they always do with Ohio State where they leave us at the four seed and jump us right at the end of the season? This has happened like five years. In the last yeah. Season. I mean, I think they're going to try to get the matchup they want. And I'm going to throw I'm gonna throw a wrench into your scenario here in a second. But I think they'll get the matchups they want. And I think, yeah, I think Ohio State will be the four seed. And they'll, they'll pound the table that they only played six games. And, you know, the Big Ten will be to, to blame for their, their season – modifications and screw-ups, and uh, I think that will happen. But here's the next question that I have for you, and my prediction is, why would they play the Notre Dame-Clemson game? If you're either team or the ACC, why would you play? Why would you not have a COVID outbreak, cancel the game, both teams get in, you have nothing to talk about? I like that. Take a play out of Michigan's playbook. I mean, I'm sitting here like with the way these teams are canceling, if I'm both teams, if I'm Dabo or I'm Brian Kelly, I'm calling the other one like, hey, man, how many cases you got? <laughs> like, let's, let's try to get out of this thing so we can both make the playoffs. Can we name that the Harbaugh special, by the way? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, it's it, it started Wisconsin did it, then Maryland did it, Florida State did it, and then Michigan did it. I mean, teams are doing it. It's not it's not like it's impossible. And I'm looking at the amount of money on the table. I've, I'm telling you, watch out for the news today or tomorrow that one of those teams has a couple positives. I would love to see Dabo get out on his after his last week of pounding the table for how they play played more games and they haven't ducked anyone and this, that, and the other for him to dodge the game. Oh, I would, yeah. That press conference would be I'd be tuned in. I don't care what else I have going well, it's, on. It's Notre Dame that <laughs> would want to duck it, right? Because they yeah. have the most to lose here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Notre Dame they have the most to lose, but also 
probably the best chance to make the playoffs. I mean, if they lose, you, they still have quite a case. If Clemson loses, I don't think they have much of a case. The only way Notre Dame doesn't get in is if it's a complete blowout. Absolutely. That's, you that's, think that's possible with Trevor Lawrence <laughs> back in the mix, that it could be a complete blowout? Um, Clemson's really talented. I mean, they're, they're a good they're, team. Their defense has been a little suspect, especially the secondary, but they're capable for sure. And and Notre Dame has kind of played great football, you know, team football, like tackling defense, running run game. Their O-line's ridiculous. But if they get in a shootout, I don't know that Ian Book is a shootout type of quarterback. Yeah. I, I feel like Notre Dame's defense and their style of play is going to keep this game from getting too far out of hand, you know, but, yeah. you know, it could be a 21-point game. Yeah, definitely. It, it could be. You know, it could go either way. I could see Notre Dame winning the game, and I could see Clemson winning by fourteen. It's just if one I'm of those Notre games. Dame, I'm I'm going for that Harbaugh special. I'm going to try yeah. and skip this because I'm in. Yeah, I'm telling yeah. you what. Well, you watch. There'll be a couple cases today or tomorrow, and we'll be talking about it. What happens if it's canceled? Throw another wrench in the system. Yeah. <laughs> so who who are your guys' crystal ball playoff playoff picks? Oof. I'm going Alabama one. Notre Dame two, um, I think Ohio State three, A and M four. Nice. Wow. That's bold. Nice. And, and so, I mean, just think about the storyline, right? You get Ohio State, Notre Dame in the Rose Bowl, you get the A and M Bama rematch in the semifinal, and then I mean it's it's just it's it is a quintessential storyline that the playoff loves, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right, let me throw mine out there. So I expect Clemson to beat Notre Dame if they play. So I'm going to assume that they play and they don't use COVID to, to cancel it. And I expect them to win by a significant amount and just have it going because it matters and you know they're, they're a good team. If that's the case, that puts Alabama at one. It would probably put Clemson at two. And they'd probably take Notre Dame out, even though they would have a reasonable case and try and squeeze A&M in. But... I think that the, the way that it would get set up would put Ohio State at four against Bama, Clemson against probably A&M in the two and three, and you know, potentially either the Bama-Clemson or the Ohio State-Clemson matchup yep. in the finals. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State fans, we want Clemson in, you know, and I think Ohio State, the program, wants Clemson in. After what happened, not just last year, but what Clemson has kind of – this, this narrative that Clemson is dominant up until last year, that narrative was true. Dabo kind of owned Urban Meyer in their matchups. Um, but I do think we have a history and track record here of Clemson. When they need to win a big game, they win it. You know, I don't like Dabo at all, but I will give the players and, and, and their program credit for being a top-tier program. I agree with you. So I see it being Ohio State, Bama, Clemson, Notre Dame, but I do think it's going. They really want the Ohio State. If they can make the Ohio State Notre Dame matchup happen, um, I think they will make it happen. Um, so I, I see those, those two, those two playing, and Bama and Clemson playing. I guess the question is: Is there more viewership when there's regional matchups like Notre Dame Ohio State? Does that bring more eyeballs than say Ohio State Bama or Ohio State Clemson? It's, it's not the regional aspect of it. It is. Notre Dame, Ohio State are like, you know, Bama has it too, but Notre Dame and Ohio State have special culture, special traditions, and special fans, right? Notre Dame had its own freaking network to broadcast its games, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 
you're talking about the two biggest international brands in collegiate athletics. I mean, it's you're not going to have more viewers than Notre Dame fans and Ohio State fans. They're literally the two biggest alumni bases and brands. I mean, just internationally, I think it would be enormous. Yeah. If they can make that happen, that's those are kind of our, my picks, you know. Um, you know, if Notre, I don't want Notre Dame to win this game. I don't. I don't think you guys do either, right? I, I kind of do, just uh, just to have Clemson not be in it because I think it would be hilarious. Um, but I understand why you would want Clemson in so that we could beat them outright. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. get that too. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's funny to me when. Uh, a fan base that's so aggressive, you know what I mean? You can't even make it to the playoffs. That, that I, That's just funny. That would be hilarious. I would enjoy it. <laughs> I'll be honest. Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. Hey guys, this is Partha. You might know me as a pilot boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. Lasso is a high-performance lifestyle brand that makes a Lasso Sock 2.0 the most functional sock ever to help you stay moving on any adventure you choose. Lasso uses patented compression technology with scientifically proven ankle stability to support key ligaments and tendons as well as moisture wicking materials and built-in strike padding. So every single step is stable, soft, and cool. Lasso socks are also used to treat foot and ankle conditions like plantar fasciitis, Achilles pain, ankle soreness, circulation issues, and more. Check them out at lassogear.com or at lassogear on social media. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. It's time for some news and notes. Partha, are you ready? I was born ready for this, V. Let's jump right in. So first things first, we've got uh, some tech, big tech kind of uh, news. The FTC, Federal Trade Commission, orders nine tech companies to disclose what they're doing with user data. That's Amazon, that's TikTok, Facebook, and others. Uh, this is likely, you know, part of there's there's an ongoing uh, lawsuit from the states against Facebook for for antitrust. This is part of a lot of what's going on with essentially the U.S. government and a lot of people in the U.S. feeling uncomfortable with how their data is being used. And I think this is a really important point for humanity because we talk about this with artists all the time when. They create their art. They have to understand how to monetize it. As a human being in a data-driven world, every action that you have committed, every every click, every time you move your browser across the screen, every single time you, you like something, you're giving information to another company about yourself, and that information is being collected, bundled, and sold. Now, yes. you know each click may be worth an infinitesimally small amount, but those those amounts add up. And so there's this general consensus in, uh, I would say, like the forward part of tech, if you're talking about blockchain, cryptocurrency, anything in that side of things, that people should have more control over their data. And yeah. a lot of big tech that's been built now is built on, essentially, it was built before we had any real awareness as a society as to how important and valuable mm -hmm. our data was. 
And now we're seeing these companies with massive financial margins profit off of it without paying anybody for it. This is part of where Andrew Yang's universal basic income proposal came from, which yeah. is that the margins are crazy here because nobody's being compensated for their data. So he was for a federal solution to essentially tax yeah. these companies and then feed that back to the people. The private yeah. solution, you know, on the flip would be that every single time you saw an ad for Facebook to compensate you for the information that they used and sold to that advertiser in some small amount. Um, there's there's you know browsers like brave for example is a is a chrome browser that you can use that actually monetizes you every time you see an ad they give you these little tokens so it's actually my web browser that i use on my phone and my desktop and it gives you bits of their cryptocurrency which you can then convert at some point to ethereum if you want to and then you know that actually converts to dollars if you want that but it's it's part of a big trend and i think it's important for everybody to have an understanding about their user data and the value of it and to also remember that if you're using privacy tools when you're browsing you're protecting your data and so you can choose and opt in really when you're going to share that data with different companies different brands different services and ultimately you can be the judge as to whether you want to monetize your user data and if so for how much yeah, I mean it's this is all fascinating. First of all, I think you know, I think this this has been a conversation we've had and you've probably had a lot more than I have in the circles and spaces that you're in is that it's not fair. What's happening is not fair to the consumer because one we're not always aware of how our data is being used and what it's being used for. That's one issue. And then the second thing is that it is being monetized. They've kind of sold us this belief that we get to use all these platforms for free, but the truth is we're not using them for free. I mean, funny, funny side notes. I remember I texted you the other day. I was like, why does TikTok want our phone number? You know? <laughs> and it could be, it could, they say it's for security reasons, but I'm like, okay, that's another piece of data that they want. Um, and, and when you ask yourself those questions too much, you also potentially are missing out on experiences of culture that everybody else is engaged with. So the price of saying, okay, well, I want to take control of my privacy. I value my privacy and my data is very high too, right? If you do say, I'm going to opt out of a lot of this, you could miss out on a lot. So, you know, it's just, it's just, it's interesting. And I do think one thing I will say about this article specifically, I will say that it's great to see that we have a government agency, the Federal Trade Commission, who's actually doing their job. Yeah, they're you know, trying to learn how this works. They're trying to learn how this works and they're trying to figure out how to monitor it. Um, well, they might be a little late. It is bright. It is fairly new. They might be a little bit late, but at least they're trying. Um, but I, I would like to ask you, where, what is, what are kind of the thoughts from like the leaders in this space? Because I know everyone's aware of, okay, there might be some data privacy changes. What is the potential impact of stricter, st stricter, I guess, guidelines on data? Well, the challenge here is that government officials in general are very, very behind. They don't understand this space at all, nor do they understand even the basic principles of how social media platforms or any of these tech companies work. 
And so any sort of legislation that's going to be enacted is most likely to have significantly adverse effects for our yeah. use of the internet in this country. So none of that legislation is probably going to even get to the floor of the house, let alone turn into law. So if you think about what are really the ways to disrupt, right? It's a hundred percent. And I'm a huge believer in this. It's all the blockchain companies. It's companies like Brave, the browser I mentioned before. There's companies changing how corporate governance works. But the entire idea is that when you have these large platforms like an Amazon or a Facebook or a Twitter, when you use these platforms, there's a central group of people that has access to everything that owns everything, essentially. And yeah. the idea behind blockchain or any sort of distributed system, a distributed network, is that every single user owns a small part of it. So there's no overlord. There's no Bezos making billions off of yeah. it. Everybody who participates in the system is getting rewarded. So the idea being the earliest users on Facebook or the people who post the most to Facebook, especially early, would receive the most you know, tokens yeah. in that. And that's essentially how the next era of big data will shift. And you know, all of these tokens will be, you know, transferable amongst different apps, different platforms. You'll be able to use them, whether it's for games or even for buying food or groceries or experiences. There's a whole lot that's going to happen in the next 30 years that's going to significantly disrupt how commerce works in general. It's going to really significantly affect the use of the dollar is really the go-to currency for most transactions because a lot will shift to token-based transactions. So imagine if um, you're advertising on Facebook and instead of having to pay with your credit card, you could pay with the tokens that you've built up from using the platform for 10 years. You know, there's a lot of these different different ways that the space will disrupt. So I'm a big believer in private innovation. And I think that especially when you're on the edge of how we understand data, and by the way, what the Federal Trade Commission is going to learn from this is that what people do with data is they organize it into a giant table. Mm -hmm. They take that table, they send it to an AI or machine learning algorithm, and that algorithm spits out another table. That table is how they understand how things work, but they really don't have a clear idea as to what's happening in the black box because we, as you know, as, as a society and really the that just the tech community doesn't deeply understand how AI makes decisions or, or really thinks yet. This is just really like system-based learning. And so we're leveraging competing power to basically go faster than we can to identify patterns. And that's cool and it's useful, but we have no real idea the consequences of that, nor do we understand the, the, the I'd say the simulated thinking processes there. So, um, you know, the FTC is going to learn that there's a whole lot that they don't know. And there's a whole lot that these companies don't know that's going on. I think there's there's a lot to dive into there. But for the for the listener of this podcast, the most important thing for you to remember is be smart about your data and actually take five minutes and just Google data privacy and learn about how you can play with your settings on your social media platforms, how you can play with your settings on um, your phone even. iPhone has amazing privacy settings. And just yeah. learn about what those settings can do in terms of protecting your email address. There's this new Apple feature that when you sign up for an app and sign in with Apple, it will actually create a, uh, a fake email address that it'll bounce emails off of that to you. So you're actually not sharing your email anymore. And the downside with sharing your email is you end up 
basically in these huge databases tied to your yeah. email. So whenever somebody new asks you to sign in, they can tap that database and then they can learn a whole lot more about you than you actually shared originally, which is why some of these apps like uh, a TikTok, for example, are so good at targeting you. Yeah. Is there is, two two questions? How big is like, I know we don't know the exact figure, but what type of money are we talking about is in, in, in data? Well, we're data. talking about trillions of dollars. So let's talk about humanity in general, right? The railroads yeah. were the first major piece of infrastructure. Then the roads, planes, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's data now. The internet is our new it's our new roads and people, every website, right? The dot-com boom was a rush to own real estate on the internet. When they realized mm -hmm. that real estate wasn't worth that much, that's when the bubble burst. And people are realizing it's not the real estate, it's the pathways people take around the web and what that means about the person that yeah. is, is really significantly worth a lot. And so, you know, data collection in general is a unique way to look at the human experience and basically segment people into communities and just improve the experience for whether it's for advertisers or brands that are looking to grow. And really, I mean, from the positive aspect, it's why a lot of your apps get better. It's because yeah. they observe your behavior. Uh, most of the websites you go to, they'll get reports of your specific use on that website. And they'll see a heat map of where your eyes stay, or they'll see where your cursor stayed for the longest or what sections took you the longest to read. And they'll modify those sections to make the experience better for you. So it's not like this is a bad thing, but it's just a thing that you need to be aware of because there are potentials down the line for this to be used in a negative way. Yeah. So you just have to be aware about which companies you're sharing your data with and whether you support their cause and what they're doing. Definitely. Definitely. That's that's enlightening. I think that's that's great for a lot of our our listeners to hear and understand that this is, you know, like everything there's, there's both positives and negatives. I think when people hear these things they are like, they always think about the nefarious use of data. Um, but there is a positive side to it as well that, that you pointed out. Absolutely. Now let's get into something a little bit more interesting. We've got, uh, the vaccine for COVID starting to come out. Uh, Ohio state first responders are some of the first to get the vaccine. Uh, anything you want to comment on the vaccine, V? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of obviously dialogue around this um, from a lot of different groups, from the anti-vax people, from people who think that the whole the whole virus is just some ploy, capitalistic ploy, which if it is, it's a great one because they're about <laughs> to make a lot of money off of it. It's like they give you the pill and then they, you know, they give you the illness, then they give you the pill, right? That's, but my position on this thing is that, you know, I think, when you understand scientists and you understand how scientists think, they, they, the, maybe these big pharma companies think like that, but scientists really do want to solve problems first and foremost. Um, and we should congratulate the scientific community for solving this particular problem that potentially had it, it really did, has had the entire world on its knees in 2020 when, when resources and science and everything comes together to come, come up with a vaccine this quickly, I didn't think we would, you know? Um, and so, yes, definitely study it. I'm going to take it because I want my life to go back to normal and I'm willing to pay whatever potential cost there is with side effects um, to get my life back to normal. And I think it's something that we should embrace, but I do understand kind of the conspiracy theory and kind of looking at it 
from that 1984 like big brother is 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 doing something to us mentality as well yeah and i'll you know i'll say this i mean i i also you know i'm i'm hesitant to take it but i absolutely will take it because i think it's just important given the fact that i i do want to spend more time with my parents i have yeah. elderly folks in the business community that i do a lot of work with and i've been cautious to see them in person because i didn't want to potentially spread it if yeah. i was asymptomatic and I've had to constantly think about testing and think about, you know, where I'm spending time and who I'm spending time with. And, you know, frankly, I, I'm a bit exhausted with that. Yes, um, I think we all are. I think uh, kind of the reality check from the conspiracy theory side is if the government was organized enough to, you know, kind of mass vaccine us and do something negative with it, then I would imagine they'd be organized enough to actually fix some of the potholes on the street and, <laughs> you know, actually do a better job running the country. So it's hard for me to <laughs> buy into. Yeah. yeah, it's hard for me to buy into some of those coordinated big government theories because they're just not that good at their jobs. Yeah, it's just the fact. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> that's my take on it. You know, my general take is that these are all humans, that nobody's nobody's different from you in these roles. Yeah. And uh, you know that that's kind of the gist of it, and um, you know, moving it, moving this thing forward. Yeah, uh, we have seen. Uh, I think it's likely due to a lot of the COVID restrictions, the migration of companies like Oracle, which was a big one that announced last week, yep. um, leaving California, going to Austin, Texas. A um, lot of lot of larger companies like uh, Goldman is is starting an office in Florida. Yep. Um, you texted me uh, one other major bank. I think it was J.P. Morgan JP that Morgan was looking to open. Yep in florida so this migration of big companies out of new york and california what are you seeing there be what are your thoughts on that well the reality is is that you look at our governments and you say these are failed these are failing or starting to fail states because they're not adjusting to the reality you cannot be in california and charge these type of taxes and not think that these companies are going to do business elsewhere if you're not creating environments a competitive landscape and states are competing with each other yeah you see that when you look at business and if you're not making the adjustments you know that you need to do to continue to be the place that offers the best competitive landscape for these people then they will move on and then there's also the reality that from a culture standpoint you know people other places are offering some of the same benefits that California and New York have without the same costs. You know, one yes. of the stories they talked about was when Jamie Dimon took over JP Morgan. He was on like the 70th floor of their building or whatever floor it was. And he was, it was all just servers. And he was like, this is what we're spending New York City real estate prices on is to hold servers. And before you knew it, no one knows, but those servers were gone from there. You know, so businesses have to look out for their bottom line and these states and the governments, the people that we elect, they need to do their jobs, yeah. quite frankly. And if they're not doing their jobs, then this is what will happen. Texas doesn't have state income tax. So if you're weighing California's ridiculous state income tax versus Texas's zero state income tax, where are you going to do business? Yeah. I mean, and I think that's a good point too. If you're selling a company, if you're having a major liquidity event, yeah. it does not behoove you to have your primary residence in a state with a significant 
income tax. And that's, you know, that's just kind of a fact of the matter. Um, one of the things I also want to point out about uh, this is that we're in an era with a lot of very energetic and passionate young public officials, yes. especially at the local level across the U.S. now. Yes. And so we're seeing states that didn't have a voice before start to attract significantly sized okay. companies. I mean, I know a ton of business leaders that are moving to Montana, Utah, Nevada, right? Yes. States that typically what Hawaii was doing last last week. Yeah. And all, yeah, Hawaii, exactly. And so that in itself is exciting to me to see that. And I, yeah. I will say, though, you have to be at a certain level of scale as a corporation to be able to move to a smaller city. Yeah. And that's just that's a fact of the matter. There's just too much talent in these larger cities for you to get too isolated from it. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I don't want to lose in this is, you know, you've you're spending time in L.A. Um, and I've spent a significant time in New York. I, did, I still don't want to lose the cultural aspect of what New York City represents with having 20, 20 million people on an island. Right. And, well, and, you know, the difference, too, is when you're doing business, you're not meeting the guy who knows the guy. Yeah. You're meeting the person you need to know at yeah. the highest level. And it's casual. It yeah. happens all the time. Yeah. And that is that is not replaceable in any community. Yeah. It's not. It's not. And I think, you know, but it is fascinating to see new places develop. We're talk we you and I have talked about Columbus, Ohio and where it was at when you were growing up and when I was was in in, in school there to where it's at now. Right now, you you have an entrepreneurial community. You have young people starting up businesses, whereas the culture before was graduate, get a job, you know, and yeah. to see that disrupted too, and see that culture that we went to, that someone like me went to New York to have to get to start seeing that sprout up in other places. I think is healthy overall, especially for people who think like you and I do. We're going to look at that and see that as a net positive. And, you know, in general, America is becoming more entrepreneurial. It's an mm -hmm. exciting and progressive country to live in. And people are becoming more open-minded every day. And so for yeah. those, those people who are out there feeling, if you're feeling at all that, you know, oh, man, what's happening with the world? Well, things are moving in a very cool direction. And that yeah. is underscored by the fact that big companies can move out of California and New York to yeah. smaller towns and start bringing significant amounts of high paying jobs into different localities that didn't have that. That's a yes, big deal. It is. It's huge. Um, let's talk about, I, I love headlines like this. So in San Antonio, they have, uh, Texas does this actually, they have this kind of park that goes over the highways. So there's one in Dallas that is, is quite well known. Um, there's one new one in San Antonio that opens on Friday and it's at Hard Burger Park, but essentially it's built as a wildlife bridge. So the idea is that there's a ton of forest on both sides of a highway and there's a walking path. They wanted to build a bridge where animals could actually cross back and forth at night. And to me, this is like the future of what cities really need to turn into is to really integrate more with nature in a meaningful way. So seeing, I think Texas gets a bad rap because I think people consider the state to be very gun-toting, very anti-nature and all of that. But I, I was pleasantly surprised during my visit there to see how much talk there was about climate change, how much talk there was about alternative energy, how much talk there was about nature and improving and taking care of our communities. And 
Uh, Texas continues to lead on efforts like this wildlife bridge, which is not a common thing to do, but it's exciting to see it happen consistently in a state that, you know, skews very, very red and, and has a reputation for not necessarily caring about those things. Yeah. And I think our last topic probably plays a role in this. Texas is trying to become a more attractive place for companies like California. One of the big reasons things that companies look at is what is the culture that they're going to be moving into? Um, is it conducive to, to our employees' happiness? Is it conducive to the culture that we have in California? And I think Texas has kind of understood and started to understand, yes, you know, and, and with that big oil might not last forever. And so we need to adapt our state's culture to kind of fit with the changing landscape of even the people there. Like Austin is a very, very liberal minded city in this red state, you know, and you saw in the election, more and more people are voting blue. Um, and, and it's not just about red and blue. It's also about, I think, creating a balance of culture of saying, look, you know, just because you're red, you can't, you can, you can still love nature. You know what yeah. I mean? And you can still care about climate change. Like I, I hate these dogmatic ways that these parties separate people. You're anti-climate change if you're red and you're, 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 you know, whatever, if you're blue, you know? Absolutely. And I think this, this is a really great example of conservative execution from a political standpoint. So this entire project was not government funded. It yep. was entirely funded through private donations. And it, it was voter approved by the city of San Antonio. Yep. So um, long story short, this is the embodiment of the conservative ideology in a meaningful and nonpartisan, you know, not party related way. This mm -hmm. is what it looks like when you uh, don't charge people on taxes, but you say, hey, if you want a wildlife bridge here, you know, donate to it. If you yep. want, you know, these new parks, donate to it. If you yep. want your community better, put money into it. And yep. not only will we write it off because it's it's tax money we didn't collect from you, but we're allowing you to opt in. But it allows the citizens to dictate with their values what their community turns into. Yeah. And that's that's the difference. That's the pure difference between both it's sides of the aisle. Yeah. yeah. Well, one funny headline that I, I just I just want to talk about this. Um, honeybees have been found using tools uh, to repel giant hornet attacks. This is the first time that uh, this has ever been found. And uh, it's in Vietnam. Asian honeybees use feces to ward off the cousins of murder hornets. And uh, dude, I just, I just thought that was so funny. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. But it also underscores something we've been talking about in 2020, adapt or die, literally, you know, and, <laughs> and these bees are adapting to changing climate and there's an existential, new existential threat to them that's real. And so they have been innovative in figuring out how to protect themselves. You know, the, the funny part is still funny, right? That they yeah. use their poop to do it. <laughs> but I think the more serious side of it is that's what fascinates me. And it's most fascinating about nature when you just sit and observe these things to see that the things that we kind of complain about, they just do. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, it's not just monkeys that there are feces. <laughs> yeah. It's honeybees now too.
<laughs> so moving on into sports, we've had an exciting week. Let's dig into some stuff. The Cleveland Indians are changing their team name. How do you feel about that, V? Funny, I got into it with a guy on Twitter actually about this. I forgot to mention it to you who um, who was like, this was a disgrace um, to the, the memory. I guess there was a, a Native American player who played for the Cleveland team that the name was derived from. And I was like, and I, I just... I hate when people feel sports fans feel entitled to something just because they're attached to it yeah. and, and feel like nobody else's voice matters. The truth is I've always found that name is first of all, factually incorrect and racist and racist. Do, do we as Americans want to continue to propagate the idiocy of Christopher Columbus thinking that he discovered India? <laughs> he didn't. And then the second case that they make is, well, the Native Americans don't really care if we call them Indians. I was like, well, maybe if there was enough of them still around. Yeah. <laughs> after the genocide. Well, they might not care, but I care. Yeah. And that's, that's the an other, actual Indian American. Yeah, that's the yeah. other thing is I was like, you're also not looking at the, the offense that it does to a culture that's one of the oldest cultures in the world. You know, and, and, you know, after a while it becomes you, I'm a Cleveland Indians fan, right? I yeah. have Cleveland Indians hats. Me too. And I have no beef with the logo. Yeah. I don't, you know, whatever. Right. It becomes normalized. But if, yeah. I, but at the same time, I am not so attached to that name and that brand that if I know that someone else is deeply, deeply offended by it and then that it's wrong and it's racist, if we change the name, I mentioned you could still pay homage to Native Americans by calling them. Everyone calls the Indians the tribe anyway. So why don't we yeah. change it to the Cleveland tribe or the Cleveland? Doesn't matter what they call the. If you picked an actual tribe name too, native yeah. to the Cleveland area, I, I know there was a lot of a lot of people I knew who were who had Cherokee, yeah. uh, Cherokee blood in their genes um, in Columbus, but. Yeah, I, I don't think that, and you could ask the tribe, right? But yeah, at least from the surface level, that doesn't seem offensive. It seems like it would be, you know, honoring. But yeah, to your point, why not use an actual, true yeah. to true to fact name rather than the uh, Indians, which is just the racist way to say Native American. And why does it, I mean, if you love the team, you love the team. This shouldn't be that big of a deal. And people get, I just feel like there are a lot of people who don't understand their own entitlement. Um, in, in America. And, and that's what comes with this is it's like, why are, this is what you spend your Monday morning upset about that. They're, yeah. they're changing their name, not to upset people. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I know. I don't think either of us were really upset by it initially, but uh, yeah, I'm with it. It was that's normalized. It was normalized, but I understood that there were people who were offended and if they were offended and they didn't want it, then I don't care. I'm going to still support the Cleveland, whatever they are. Yeah. Um, Browns and Ravens. This was an interesting game. I felt for the Browns, and it was also the first time in NFL history that a game ended 47-42. Oh, wow. That's amazing. I mean, look, the Ravens, anybody who knows the Browns' history is the Ravens are the special thorn in our side. You know, <laughs> The year after they leave, they win a Super Bowl. They've been a dominant franchise since they've left Cleveland. And we've kind of been stuck with the mistake by the lake moniker, you know, and, and to finally see, I mean, even early from the transition from the game earlier in the season where they just dominated us to see us compete, to see us be able to hold our own. Obviously we didn't slay the dragon, but we're closer to it. And I think that that's, that's, 
that's great to see. And it's great to see these rival this rivalry become a real thing. And I can't wait until the, t- the day that we beat this team in the playoffs and finally put that history and that pain behind us of, of everything that's happened to Baltimore that we've missed out on. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I don't, I don't even have anything to add. Uh, <laughs> did you want to make a comment on potential MVP candidates for the NFL? It looks like it's either Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Aaron Rodgers is so good, dude. Yeah, man. He does not get enough credit for the kind of season he's having. I think it's because there's a guy named Patrick Mahomes out there, but Mahomes opened the door this past weekend throwing three interceptions, and Aaron had another dominant game. And if you look around at Patrick Mahomes' talent versus what Aaron Rodgers has on his team, think, you know, old man Rodgers might deserve it. Yeah, seriously. Um, All right, jumping into the NBA, which is back officially. Something I'm very excited about. I love watching NBA. I've been checking out some of these preseason games. Uh, short and off season's been interesting. It was actually, it felt like a really quick turnaround from the championship to getting back into things. Um, let's talk about uh, James Harden. So Westbrook and John Wall were traded. Uh, so Russell Westbrook's on the Wizards. And from all the videos I've seen, he seems to be having a ball of a time over yeah. there. And uh, John Wall's now in the Rockets. He had made a public, semi-public statement that he was ready for James Harden to come back, came with a you know really solid mentality. And by the way, John Wall has a great reputation as a hard worker. I've never heard anything negative about him. I know a lot of people in his circle. And so I'm surprised by James Harden not wanting to play, but I think it has a lot more to do with the organization, letting go of, of uh, D'Antoni, letting go of Daryl Morey than it does about the trade with Westbrook and John Wall. Yeah, I mean, I have my gripes with with, with James Harden um, in terms of can you build a winner around him, but I do th- say, I will say this, he has been in Houston, been the face of the franchise, um, and, and played hard for the team. Um, if he wants to be traded, um, then that's reasonable. You know, if you, if you want to change jobs, you can do that. Um, but at the same time, I do think he has a contract to honor. Um, and until that trade happens, he's got to give the best, the best of his effort to yeah. the Rockets. And, and who knows? Maybe he gets in with John Wall because Boogie Cousins seems to be playing pretty well too. He comes back and he's like, maybe I like it here, you know? Yeah. But if, if, but if not, the other thing that I, I saw Steven Jackson talk about too is that you know, um, they hired a black head coach and these opportunities, they say a lot of times when they put minority coaches into positions that they know they're going to fail in, right? Like, mm. um, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's, that's talked about in something that's talked about in the circles and amongst players often. I do think also this is, this is an opportunity to at least don't create chaos and controversy for this guy. If you want to trade, show up to work, showing up to camp late, going and partying with little baby instead of coming to training camp. Like don't do those type of things. Like those things will, will ruin your case because then fans won't fans generally have like James Harden. So you don't do things that are going to, they're going to ruin your reputation along the way. Yeah, I will. I mean, I will also say to his credit that he, what he missed was optional, right? What he missed was optional, but as a result of him showing up late, now he's got to do the six COVID tests. He's not going to be right. there. 
He's not going to be there. And he did it. I feel like he did it intentionally. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But yeah. I will say for a player who played all the way through, right, they, they got to what, the second round of the playoffs? So all the way through August, essentially. Yeah. Was it later than that? Yeah. September, maybe October? They got to the second round. Yeah. So, you know, month and a half off, got to get back into things. I'm not that mad at it, but to to your point, you know, if you give the media anything, they're going to use it in, in heavy effect, yeah. especially when you're breaking the narrative of like the, the confines of being a player. But, you know, I, I'm a, you're trying to win right now. Yeah. You're trying to win it when you're trying to win at something, which is I want to be traded. Do things like people like think that you always have to be anti-team. But part of what makes James Harden's relationship with the Rockets special is they've been over backwards for him and given yeah. him everything that he wants. So just come in, show your show up, and still say, I want to be traded. Use the media that way, saying, as long as I'm a Houston Rocket, I'm going to be a Houston Rocket. It also signals to other franchises because he does have – a lot of teams are questioning whether or not, no matter how good of an individual player – Whether he'll stick, stick around. Whether A, he'll stick around, and then B, is is this the type of guy we can win with? Is yeah. this the type of leader that we want? Um, and he's got to answer those questions if ultimately he wants to get what he wants. Yeah, I'll tell you, though. James Harden is a player that I will always have a lot of love for because he was one of the first NBA players to wear our socks. And yeah, it it did a lot for us. So yeah, yeah. I mean, he's got day. he's got he's a he's definitely a a a a character who is a good guy too. Like he's yeah. been good in the community. He gives back. He does a lot of those things. But at the same time, it's like, come on, get if you want to get to Miami. Just, just chill for a second, brother. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you'll get there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Paul George max contract extension five years says he wants to retire as a Clipper. It's a guy named Blake Griffin that will tell you that you know those contract extensions don't necessarily mean you will re- you will <laughs> retire as a Clipper. Uh, how do you feel about that? Is that a good move for the Clippers organization? Clippers made their bed they had to lay in it sometimes, right? Like yeah. they gave away the entire future of their franchise for Paul George. Um, and so therefore to, to reboot after one year, um, you have to double down on your bet and hope that the guy understands and values what they did to get him here, to give him the opportunity to play for the Clippers, to come back home and what they gave up to get him. Right. Yeah. Like, and so, you know, I, I'm very troubled by playoff P and I think sports psychology is something I'm hoping that he looked into because you just saw mental lapses with this guy from a competitive standpoint. I'm not speaking about his personality or, you know, who he is as a person, but from a basketball standpoint, there seems to be kind of some mental issues going yeah. on there that he needs to recover from. And then I also didn't like him throwing Doc Rivers under the bus. It's like, so you're rewarding a guy that's kind of like, first of all, played poorly in the playoffs and everyone kind of points to as kind of one of the major reasons why you didn't achieve what you wanted to achieve. And then second, he's not taking the accountability that you would want your star player to take, which is, yeah, we could have made some adjustments, but he was basically like displacing the blame on the coaching. Even if that's true, you don't do that publicly in this yeah. scenario. I will say, uh, you know, one one wrinkle is that uh, Paul George, who's you know now happily engaged, 
um, cheated on Doc Rivers' daughter with his now fiance. So I think that adds a little bit of wrinkle in there that oh, wasn't of course. there. They have, a, they have a very, very troubled relationship that I thought was interesting even when they tra traded for him. Like I was yeah. like trading for Paul George. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think those personal things, you know, they, they always stick around. I think that yeah. that's something that you can't really forget. And you know, they, come out, they come yeah. out when they're intentionally or not. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think that was, that was a factor. So the fact that they're not on the same team, is probably a good thing for both. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, Taylor Horton Tucker balling out. He actually trains with, uh, with this doctor out here in LA, Dr. Pat in the off season, um, does all of his rehab there. Great, great facility. So I know his body is probably fantastic this season going into it. What do you think about him? I thought he was great at the end of last season. I mean, the rich get richer, right? It's like yeah. when things are going right, they just keep going right. Like yeah. this is a second year player, you know, and I, I trust LeBron James more than I trust myself. And LeBron thinks that this kid <laughs> is special, right? And um, therefore, it's, he's 6'4", has a 7'1 wingspan. You know, he drops into the second round uh, of the draft, which shows you again that, you know, th these teams miss sometimes. Um, and the league may have missed someone, you know. Um, I don't know yet. It's too early to tell. These are preseason games. But it looks like, the Lakers have a, a player and then the player also has an opportunity to be on a team as a young player who still needs development to be in a great situation to actually foster that development. So a year from two from now, we talk about this kid coming in and, and being a star. Yeah, I think you hit right on it, man. It's it's all about at that young age being able to be molded by people who have the mentality to help you succeed in the league. I think that's something that we all we all were excited about Andrew Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns. It's something that neither of them have up in Minnesota is that older veteran presence. It's really helped them understand what the work ethic is like, what the culture is like to really be, you know, that big name in the league. It's, yeah. it's very challenging. So, you know, anytime you get mentorship from a guy like LeBron, it's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the headline that was so heartbreaking for me, because I'm really rooting for this kid, LiAngelo Ball cut, not even what, not even a week into camp so you texted me this v you were like man it must have been a favor for his agent yeah. I, I think you might have been right just heartbreaking man i really want this kid to be you know a, a professional basketball player and he might just have to settle for the g league yeah he might and you know his his dad needs to needs to i love that he supports his kids and feels the way he does but the commentary he made on the pistons after they actually gave his son a shot um, I think also might be something his agent should probably discuss with him as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, LaMelo over in Charlotte, I've been watching some of his highlights, had a nice flashy behind the back pass, had a full court pass to, for a dunk through an alley-oop the other night. He's coming along. I think this, I really kid, like this kid, man. Yeah. He, he looks better than Lonzo did at the beginning of uh, his rookie year for sure. He's got that star power, that charisma that yeah. and he's and And I think, um, Terry Rozier said this is he's just genuinely a happy kid, right? He's constantly, and he's like, it changes, it's changed the energy of the locker room. I think that's underrated by the way, genuine yeah. happiness and positivity in a person is underrated. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so I think I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for him. I mean, he's got big shoes to fill with, uh, with buying Cam Newton's house. So, and he's, he's <laughs> I, I guess Michael Jordan owns the penthouse in that building as well. So he's, he's better watch his behavior too with the owner upstairs. You know, that's probably a pretty good thing for him though, to have that, that yeah. kind of proximity. Yeah. 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 Good for him. Um, the Nets which we saw make their debut debut with Kyrie and KD playing. They've been going back and forth on IG Live. I had a couple things I wanted to mention then um, get your take as well, V. First of all, they both look good. They came back from injury healthy. They came back with energy. I mean, they're moving fast. They're in sync. And I guess I didn't expect Kyrie and KD to mesh so beautifully. But seeing it in person, this Nets team is a, is a real contender. Yeah, and they're deep. You know, yeah. and I think what you're seeing on IG Live is that, you know, you don't have to be right for everyone, but they're right for each other. You yeah. know, their personalities mesh. These are two guys that have kind of personality quirks and, you know, trouble with the media and trouble with other players. But they seem to understand each other, you yeah. know. Um and I think that that bodes well because it's like uh, they, first of all, KD, what we saw kind of happening before his injury was a potential passing of the torch from LeBron James to KD as the best player in the league. And then to suffer the type of injury he suffered, yeah. just devastating. And then the second thing is with Kyrie, I think anyone who watches this kid play, he's not a kid anymore. He's a grown man. Um, but he he has a potential to be one of the most special NBA players ever to play the game. And he just seems to have gotten in his own way. And hopefully now with the right teammate, right co-star and right surrounding talent, because all the other guys kind of have kind of personalities that aren't outspoken like Levert and DeAndre yeah. Jordan. Um, I think, I think they're going to, I pretend I really like this team as out of the East. Yeah. I, I, I don't see anybody even, even challenging them. I think the Heat are an amazingly talented team, but yep. when you have this level of talent, it's it's different. It's just a different tier. It's different. It's different. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention is on the IG lives and uh, after the fact, one thing I appreciated was that Kyrie took back his comments he made about the team not really having a head coach. Yeah. Gave Steve Nash the respect he's due. And to me, that's a good sign. As a yeah. program, when you're watching that from the outside, that's how you when you see stars humbling up, that's a sign of a good coach who, yeah. you know, imposes a presence, not a negative one, but one that, you know, demands respect in a meaningful way. And Steve Nash has the right, I mean, it's one of the most legendary guards in the game ever, one of the most legendary players. And he has an eye for the game that not not many have. So I think that KD and Kyrie are probably both benefiting yeah. from the way that he likes to see the game played. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, Kyrie just needs to find the coach who understands how to manage him. He is who yeah. he is, but his basketball talent is sublime. How do you unlock that? So long as you're unlocking that, who cares what else he's doing? You know, yeah. much like Dennis Rodman. Yep. Yeah, I I do. I love Kyrie. I would love to hang out with him and just talk to him about life and especially spirituality because he has some very out there views that I, I yeah he definitely he about. he has. Uh, huge views. The only thing that bothered me is how he how he handled his situation in Cleveland and how he handled, 
his relationship with LeBron James and not, not appreciating that. Hopefully later on, you know, same way Kobe and Shaq had this, this rift that Kyrie comes back and realizes that, um, you know, playing with LeBron was actually a a good thing and not a bad thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I think he and I are roughly the same age, so I kind of understand the perspective. Yeah. <laughs> probably a little bit more than you because yeah, I've had my share of ego in my twenties. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I get it. I still have a, I still have an ego, but it's not. <laughs> it's it, I still if I'm if if I have an opportunity like to play with someone else or be be around someone else who I respect from a from a skill standpoint, I'm I'm going to respect them. I'm not going to yeah. throw shots at them like I finally have a guy who's a closer. Like, yeah. dude, you won a championship with this guy, you know? And yeah. it seems like LeBron is genuinely hurt. Yeah, for sure. Part. For so sure. You do have yeah. to consider that, too. These guys do have feelings. And it seems like from what LeBron's saying, at least he went out of his way. Um, and that's the reason he did come back to Cleveland is to play with Kyrie, you know? Yeah. So. It goes how it goes. Let's yeah. touch on music. and. uh First off, Lil Wayne sold his masters for a cool hundred million and just immediately after got sued for twenty million by his old manager. Yeah. <laughs> so probably honestly valid if the manager, you know, would would have ownership rights over what was made while he was managing him. Probably a valid lawsuit. Um, but we'll see. Well, he's being sued by a lawyer, which never bodes well. Um, but you know, I think Lil Wayne is just Lil Wayne, I love the guy. Anybody who's a hip hop head has to appreciate his talent. But you also worry, you know, because he's one of these celebrities. His drug problems are apparent. He's got new problems with the law, with with his gun charge and drug charge. And you just wonder what motivated this. Like to sell your masters at that young of an age, um, when you actually are one of the few artists out here who controls your masters. You just hope that the motivation was right. The money was right. But you just hope that he holds on to this money. Because if you don't hold on to the money and do something with the money and you've given up what you've worked so hard to own, um, that that doesn't bode well for your mental health. Yeah, straight up. Uh, we also saw Bob Dylan sell his catalog. Seems like a great time to be selling tracks. Seems like the market price is very high for yeah. those right now. Uh, Bob and- Dylan is on the opposite end of the spectrum, right? He's 80 years old. He sold his catalog for three hundred million. He's monetized it. He's made it. That's what I, you would want all artists to do. Is okay. The time is right. My family isn't. They're not musicians. So I want to make sure that whatever whoever I'm leaving this money to and this estate to reaps the reward when I'm not when I'm not around. Yeah. Uh, also, again, shows the importance of owning your masters. Yes, own your masters, artists. <laughs> Finally. Our Ohio brother, Kid Cudi, finally dropped Man on the Moon 3, which was definitely not a disappointment. Not a disappointment at all. An unbelievable album, just hit all the feels. And we got kind of a new Kid Cudi for the first half, a a modern kind of Travis Scott-inspired Cudi, which is interesting because Travis Scott is often sounding Kid Cudi-inspired as well. Yeah. Um, I love the dynamic between the two sonically. And I just love how Kid Cudi was able to create this project that not only pulled on nostalgia, especially in the back half of the album, but story-wise took us to a new place in his journey that was really meaningful. And I thought he got a lot more 
real about how he talked about the feelings he goes through, especially in that opening track, uh, yeah. the shots talking about the war inside of him. I think that's just, it's so relatable for everybody. Yeah. That's always what's made Kid Cudi special and why his fans go hard, so hard for him. I can't wait till the day that he actually gets his true flowers because I think he is probably one of the most important artists of the last 20 years, yeah. um, specifically in this space. He did, you know, and the thing that I like about him is he's so secure in his own talent that he's okay helping Kanye, yeah. you know, become great. He's okay helping Travis Scott become great. And I, and I just love seeing that type of energy. You know, it's something that I think exists in Ohio too, just generally how we operate and think, but to see that at a guy that level, because it's probably hurt his status a little bit by sharing so many of his gifts, but he does it anyways. And I think yeah. that that's, that's something that we should appreciate about Cuddy. Yeah. And I also want to mention Jack Harlow. He dropped his, I believe it was his debut album. And it was fantastic. I mean, the kid can rap. The kid can... The, the rhyme schemes on the project were insane. The storytelling was fun. The beats were energetic. Uh, he got... I saw he got uh, what what looked like a negative review from some from a lot of online um, reviewers. But I just wanted to make sure that we said on this podcast, shout out to a young kid doing it, building his own thing. And really taking hip-hop seriously from the standpoint of how he does his lyrics. He's not lazy in terms of his execution. He's not lazy in terms of his flows. He's always pushing the boundaries and giving us something that you know is fun to listen to. And I, it's something I appreciate about him as an artist that I feel gets lost in you know the, the myriad trap hits that we hear day over day. Is like the lyrics get lost a lot of the time. And uh, Jack Harlow, is, he, he's that light, kind of funny punchline rapper who has a serious moments at times, but really kind of fills that niche of like somebody who, who knows how to use the words, but doesn't take himself too seriously. Yeah. It's funny. I, I did, had never listened to Jack Carlos song. I had heard about him, but what really got his attention was when he snitched on Lou Will <laughs> <laughs> and caused some, some issues in the bubble for him. I was like, and that, and that kept me from, tapping in sooner but you you mentioned his album um and so i i went and i listened to it and you're right i was pleasantly surprised and like you said those things stand out i didn't like every song on the record but what i could take away from it is this is a kid who takes this craft seriously and is is very intentional with his music he's not just getting on a great beat and saying whatever um he he wants to be great and i, I hope to see him become great yeah yeah Respect where respect is due. Yep. Well, V, that brings us to the end of news and notes. Yeah, it's another week, another week down. Um, great, great, great show today. We covered a lot. Um, and hopefully we'll see you guys next week talking about an Ohio State college football playoff. Um, until then, always remember, be you, you is fly. Pilot boys out. Pilot boys, we get on up. We gon' fly, boys, we get up. So cool, man. 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 So c